Thing to you. Oh, now I can breathe. Okay. That was a beautiful song, wasn't it? Do you know what that song reminded me of? The resurrection. Where people from all around the world, speaking every possible language, uh, will be able to go to heaven together. And then in that new earth, there's no more sea. There's nothing that's going to divide people anymore. Not language, nothing. We'll all be just one nation. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, God has so many wonderful things planned for us. And even now, we can taste eternal life now, right? We don't have new bodies yet, but we have a new birth experience where we have a renewed mind and a renewed heart that just draws closer and closer to God until that precious day, that blessed hope that we're waiting for, that Jesus will be here. And then then we'll be completely changed. A new body and eventually a new earth. And to be able to live forever means everything. And that's part of why we take communion, isn't it? That we never forget. That we never forget the price that was paid that allowed us to be able to live forever. And... uh, and before we give our, our sermon, I just want us to remember uh, Nina's granddaughter, Tanya. Uh, what we know so far is she had an operation just over a week ago. Is that right? Just over a week ago. But she had to remain in the hospital because her blood pressure was low, and they're just not sure what's going on. But we want to have a, a special prayer for Tanya and for Nina's family, because it's it's not only hard on Tanya, it's hard on the family, this not knowing. But we know she's in good hands. We want to pray for the health care providers and put her in the hands of uh, our great physicians. Let's have a word of prayer now. Our Father in heaven, we, we want to thank you for family. And we want to thank you for Tanya. Uh, you knew her before she was ever created, ever was given birth. Uh, You watch over her, and even now we know you're watching over her. And we do pray for an anointing on the talents of the healthcare providers that are looking after her, that you'll give them special skills and knowledge and to provide that best possible care. We ask you to be in a special way with the family to give them peace in their heart and to to know that uh, Tanya is in the hands of of not only his health care providers, but of the Lord himself, the great physician. And so, Father, um, we want to thank you for your creative power that gave us life, but it also, as we read in the life of Jesus, that heals. He healed all who were sick. And that same power that will raise the righteous um, to everlasting life. The very power that we can live by today to experience precious victories to the glory of your name. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when we take communion, we think in terms of, um, you know, why do we take communion? And again, to remind us that if Jesus doesn't come so that we have the forgiveness of sins, because everybody's what? Everybody has sinned. Everybody stands condemned for having broken God's law. But I want us to look at this question what is sin? Because as I think as we go through what is sin, why Jesus had to die, I think it's going to become evident to us that we need more than forgiveness. We need more than being pardoned. We need to be delivered from something. 
So let's go ahead and see how the Bible defines this. So what we find in the most probably prominent verse uh, in the Adventist church when we look at the definition of sin, it says, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is what? It is the transgression of the law. And I want us to think about the word transgression. Transgression really represents an action, doesn't it? Okay, so sin is an action. It's not just something we have in our head or a wrong thought, but it represents an act of doing wrong, somehow breaking a rule or a law, and in this case, God's Ten Commandments. And, and to remind ourselves that what we do is actions. If I do this and I say this and I think this, it's because that's exactly who I am. I wouldn't be doing this if this wasn't a part of me, okay? I want to keep that in mind. So, so far, our definition of sin is sin is an act of doing wrong. Condition, we stand guilty for breaking that law. We stand condemned. The remedy, I need someone to be able to forgive me for what I did. And that's exactly why Jesus died. That I can give my sins to Christ. He'll forgive me of everything I've done, no matter how many times I've done it, no matter what I've done. He'll forgive me of those sins. Is this true? And he'll look at me as if, I had never sinned, and I stand before him as innocent. That is such a wonderful God. I can't count how many times I've sinned, but I know God will forgive me for every one of them. But I do need to give them to Christ, and he'll take them. Is this true? He'll take them, and in return, he gives me what? Not just forgiveness, but... The Holy Spirit. I want to read you a verse. I didn't put it up here in the slide program. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, I want us to look at that just real quick. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, right? Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of sins, and ye shall receive the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when I give my sins to Christ, he takes them, but he gives me something in return. He gives me the Holy Spirit. Why? So I can now live a new life. That I don't just have to keep repenting. I now have the Holy Spirit to live a new life. And that's the best deal in the universe. That I can give him my sins which condemns me. And the waves of the sin is death. But if I give my sins to Christ, he takes them and gives me the Holy Spirit that I might have life. That's how we live forever. Not by living the old life. There's no eternal life in the old life. There's only an eternal life in the new life in the spirit of Jesus Christ, right? Having his spirit. But I want to move on. I want us to see sin not just as an act, but sin as a master. And it comes from these verses. John 8, 34. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the... The servant of sin. Think about that phrase, the servant of sin. Well, if the sinner is the servant of sin, then sin must be a what? A master. You can't become the servant of something unless it has dominion or it's a master over you. Right? And then in Romans 6.12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust thereof, to reign over you. So that makes sin like a master. And I just want to kind of give an example. Let's just say I drank alcohol, and the more I drink and the more I drink, it becomes a what? 
It becomes an addiction. Will alcohol now be my master? Even if I say I don't want to do it, my body says, do it. Because I've created a craving for it. My body craves it. Could be the same with smoking. Could be the same with negative thoughts. I think about this person this negative way all the time. I've become accustomed to it. It becomes who I am. And I become like a slave to that. Even if I know it's wrong and I say I don't really want to do it anymore, the pull is to still do the wrong. And so it's become a master over me. And I don't need to just be forgiven. I need, I need to be free. I need to be free. Look at this. Sinner as a master again. Psalm 119, 113. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity or sin have what? Dominion over me. Because the reality is sin is not just an act. Sin can actually have dominion over you as if you're like out of control of your own life. Even when you don't want to do wrong. And we'll look at Romans 7. Even when he didn't even want to do wrong, he was... He was doing wrong because he had done certain things and it became like it began to have dominion over him. It was like he became more accustomed to doing what's wrong. It's like, I need to be free from this. Not just forgiven, pardoned. I need to be free. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So you can be the servant of sin or you can be the servant of of righteousness. Okay? So now we look at sin. What is it? Definition. We looked at an action, the condition. We felt guilty in our remedy. We needed forgiveness and we needed pardon. But as we've done our short little study, we realize sin is not just an action. It can become a, a master that has dominion over us. And the condition is that we're really in what? I'm in bondage. I'm a slave to it. I'm in bondage. And what's the remedy for being in bondage? You need deliverance. We need deliverance. So an example of this in history is that the Hebrews were enslaved for how long? 400 years. Did they set themselves free? They couldn't. The Egyptian army was way too powerful. It was the superpower of the ancient world. They needed someone to deliver them. They couldn't deliver themselves. They needed to be delivered. They needed to be freed from from bondage. And this is why Jesus came. Matthew 1.23 She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people, not in their sins, but from their sins. He's not only going to forgive them, he's going to He came to deliver us from sin. He came to deliver us from bondage. Now being made what? Free. No longer in bondage to sin. Made free from sin and become the servants of now God. Not sin, but God. You have your fruit, your life, your thoughts, your actions unto holiness. And the end? Everlasting life. And see, friends, that's how we get life. Not just forgiven for the act, but deliverance from the dominion of sin, from the master of sin. See, this is the good news. The good news is you can be more than forgiven. That's the glorious beginning of the gospel, is to be forgiven. But you can be more than forgiven. You can be free from alcohol. You can be free from nicotine. You can be free 
from evil thoughts. You can be free from every bit of it. No longer does it hold dominion. That when you want to do right, you will what? Do right. Because you're delivered from that which is wrong. Does this make sense? Amen. Now, what's included? We'll begin with knowledge and conviction. But knowledge and conviction is not enough, is it? Look at this example in Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul, the apostle Paul, and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way of this, for this time, for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Did Felix now have knowledge? He had knowledge. Did he have conviction? Was he still a servant of sin? You see, it's not enough. It's not enough to have knowledge. It's not enough just to even have a conviction. We're still a slave. Still in bondage. What else is there? We look at the man of Romans 7. You could turn to your Bibles there if you like. Romans 7. We're going to read some verses here. Did the man of Romans 7, when Paul's describing his experience before he's saved, before he's born again, he says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. For we know that the law is spiritual, but what? I'm carnal, sold under sin. Did Paul, before his conversion, have knowledge and conviction? He absolutely did. He knew that the law was right, God was right, but something about himself was wrong. He had knowledge. He even had conviction over this. But he still wasn't saved. He needed repentance and confession. Look what he says here. Romans 7, verses 18 through 21. For I know that what? In me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Do we find a repentance here? Like a confession as well, that he, he's, beyond, he's beyond knowledge and he's beyond conviction. He's like saying, I want to be free. I am a sinner. I admit that I do wrong. Even when I don't want to do wrong, I'm doing wrong. He's confessing his true condition. And yet, he's still bond in bondage. You see, the man of Romans 7, Saul, or Paul, before his conversion, he wasn't a willing sinner. He wasn't the kind of person that says, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. No, he's an unwilling sinner. Is this true? He doesn't want to do wrong. He wants to do the right thing. But he says, there's something wrong with me. There's something inside me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, in my body, warring against the law of my mind 
and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall what? Deliver. That's the key word. Who's going to deliver me? He has knowledge. He has conviction. But he needs, he needs deliverance. He really does. He needs deliverance. Not just forgiveness. He needs to be delivered from this. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He has knowledge, conviction. He's confessed his true condition that he's still a servant of sin. He's saying, all, I am a servant of sin. What does he still need? And then the end of chapter 7, I thank God through, because that's the answer. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. But you know what the flesh, you know what the flesh wants? It wants to serve the law of sin, doesn't it? So there's three colors, three parts here. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the answer is, is Christ. Is there another answer to that question? You realize there's only one answer to that question? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There is only one question, or one answer to that question, and that is Christ. Christ is the only one who can deliver us. This is why he came. If there was another way that men could save themselves, Christ wouldn't have to come. Is this true? He came here because there was no other way. Someone had to come and pay for our sins. Someone had to come, that same person, and live a sinless life. And be raised. And then could live in us, so that now we live his life. This is how we're free. Not just forgiven, but free. Okay? So, pardon and deliverance begin in the mind, right? It all begins up here. Being pardoned or forgiven doesn't start with my hand. It starts right here. And it's simply a true statement that the fallen flesh tends towards the law of sin. Now, notice what he says right after this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. You see, they're not bound by the flesh. They're free from it. But after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of Christ and life in Christ Jesus had made me free. I'm not longer in bondage. I'm free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son. This is the key. It's the only way it can happen. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. If Christ doesn't come, we not only have innumerable amount of sins, acts of sin, but we remain in bondage to it. And this is just science, too. Throughout my life, I would have had evil thoughts, right? Evil acts. And you pile them up. And the more you do it, the more it becomes a part of you. The more evil thoughts you have, the more likely you're going to think what? Evil. You see? And the more alcohol I drink, the more... I'm going to want. And I create propensities to sin. It becomes who I am. It's actually recorded in my mind. It is my mind. That's who I am, right? All these thoughts, all these actions. And I become a slave to that. And the only way I can break away is to begin a new way of thinking 
That with my mind, I say, Father, not just forgive me of what I've done, free me from being enslaved to these things. I admit to you, I've not only done wrong, I'm a slave to them. And I can't save myself. Oh, God, help me, a sinner. Will God help me? Absolutely. And this is why we take communion. We take the bread because it represents the life of Christ. We take a little morsel here. But it's symbolic of wanting to eat the bread of life the rest of your life. And the more you have of the thoughts and the life of Jesus in you, what does it do? It changes your mind. And then you become a servant of righteousness because that's how he lived. And that righteous life of Jesus now takes over and it's now in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so you're no longer in the flesh just giving in to the flesh. You'd say, no, because of Jesus, I'm able to live a new life, but I've got to begin it every, every day. Every day you need to eat this bread. Not once a quarter at communion. Not once a week. You eat the bread of Jesus Christ every day so that you don't fall back into the law of sin and death. Almost every victory, every military victory is won ahead of time. People don't just go to war. They have plans. How are we going to fight this enemy? And you lay out your plans not just a week ahead, but months and years ahead. What if this nation started turning against us? What would we do? Right? You know Satan's going to assault you here and here and here. You know your own weaknesses. So have a battle plan. How am I going to gain victory? You start thinking. And you begin every day. Because you know every day the Satan's going to what? Oh, he's going to tempt you. Is this true? Because he wants you to keep sinning. Because the more you sin, the more you're in Bondage. He doesn't want you free. Because when you're free, he has no more control over you. When you're free, his whole kingdom of darkness is at jeopardy. And then you become a child of light. And you start spreading that light around the world, and then other people see the light. Right? They see it not just in what you say, but what you, you do. And then they say, you're free. I want to be free. You see, and then the gospel goes throughout the world. You see, there's, there's salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other. That's just true. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if Christ be where? In you. Eating that bread every day. Every day. The body is dead because of the sin. Then the, the propensities of the sins that you've committed that have become you no longer bear sway. It's the bread you're eating that has more power. Is this right? The bread of Christ's life has more power than the propensities you've developed over the years. It has power. It's, in fact, enslaved you to it. But there's something more powerful than that, and that's this bread. For the Spirit is life because of righteousness. For if, the, if you live after the flesh, you, you're going to die. 
But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Is this true? It's a promise. So when we take communion this morning, just see it as a beginning, not an end. The beginning of taking bread every day. Not communion every day, but the bread of Jesus Christ in your life. And as you take him in, you'll be free because he never, he never sinned, not even by a thought. So if you're eating his life, then you're going to begin to live a life free. No more bondage. Self-control. Controlled by the Spirit. With the mind, we understand truth. And once we're convinced of the truth, the body is called upon to obey and carry out the decisions that was made in the mind. These are two separate things, isn't it? There's my mind and there's my body. My body simply to carry out the decisions I make in my mind. My hands aren't making these decisions. My hands are only going to obey what I decide up here. But the flesh is weak and tends towards sin. And what most people in our world do is the body has been accustomed to eating things that are wrong and thinking wrong thoughts and this and that, and we become creatures of habit. And the body says, no, you do this. This is the way you go. This is what you've been doing. My mind says, no, I don't want to do that anymore. But the body says, no, this is the way we're going to go. No, you just follow along with your brain, right? No, you have to make a decision and say, you know, I'm not going to let my body decide and dictate the rest of my life. I'm going to allow, make this body only agree and do what I say up here, which is true. This is where the war is going on. And we can look at wars out there, war on drugs, war on this, war on that. But the real war is between your brain and your body. And that's the only thing you have to have victory. I mean, there's always going to be wars all the way up until second coming of Christ. Is this true? Wars and rumors of wars. But the one war you have to win, no matter where you live, is a war between the mind and the body. And don't allow the body to bear sway over the mind. And the only way to do that is Christ must always be first. Must always be first. It's the way you begin your day. It's the way you continue your day. But if the spirit of him, Jesus, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the... And here's God's promise. We're going to partake of the bread and the wine. The bread represented, represents Jesus, doesn't it? And in that bread, there's no leaven. Because in Christ, there's no... In the bread is salt. What is salt used for? To preserve something, because they didn't have refrigerators back then. So if you eat the bread, it's preserving you from the corruption that's in the world. You see, the only way not to be corrupted by the influences of the world is to have salt. But where's the salt come from? It's in the bread. You see, if you eat the bread, 
You're going to have no leaven, and you're going to have salt. You're going to have the finest wheat going through, as the rabbis say, 11 sieves. So there's no husks in it. Only pure wheat. Which means that when you partake of the life of Christ, you're taking part of a life that's completely pure. Is that going to change us? Absolutely. And then in this bread is oil. What's oil represent? You see, this is how you walk in the Spirit. You see, the choice between the Spirit and the flesh, right? But how do you get in the Spirit? You have to eat the bread because the oil is in in the bread. You cannot receive the Holy Spirit without Jesus. That doesn't even make sense. You only receive the Holy Spirit and you only have as much of the Spirit as you have of Jesus. It's all proportional. The more you eat the bread and choose to be like Jesus, the more of the Spirit you have. But if you only want to be a little bit like Jesus, you're only going to have a little bit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? But if you say, I don't want the old life, I don't want anything of the life that's unlike Jesus, I want to be like Jesus in in everything. The way I see people, the way I treat people, the decisions I make in my life. Because I want the salt to keep me from being corrupted by the world. I want that finest wheat, that life of Christ. I need the Holy Spirit. Because without the Spirit, I'm going to fall right back into the flesh. And then the flesh is going to rule. There's only way, one way to have victory, friends. And that's the bread, Jesus Christ. The bread that came from heaven. So, as we take this communion service and you think of this bread, and it's towards the beginning of a new year, and we think about Christ coming, we know it's not on December 25th, but the fact is, he was born in this world. And we need him to live in here. And he will. But it's your choice. Now the devil's going to try to make you so busy that you don't have time to eat the bread. But just like you sit down at meals, you take time to eat meals. Take time to eat the spiritual bread. Because that is far more important to you than the physical bread. Is this true? It's that important. And you know, friends, when there's enough people eating bread, we're going to go home pretty soon. I'm hoping this is one of the last communion services we have. Not because I don't enjoy it. It's because I want Jesus to come back. I'm hoping there's just a few more that if we eat enough bread day after day, the bread of Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about the corruption of this world because we won't be here. We can go home and then we can hear those beautiful songs we heard this morning in different languages. You imagine on your way to heaven and you're hearing these beautiful hymns and songs on all kinds of different languages on the way to heaven. But let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we realize that the bread doesn't come down from heaven. There's no spiritual nourishment for us. There's no hope. 
But because Jesus is of heaven and from heaven, that he knows how to bring heaven to us. And he came and he tabernacled with us to put on our, our flesh, to live a life for us that we could never have lived by ourselves. But Father, help each one of us to take the time to eat the bread every day for why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just to die. He came to live. To live in each side of each one of us. And as he was risen from the grave, that same power that raised Jesus from the grave, we know is the same power that can quicken our life to live a new life. So help us, Father, to allow the old life to die and to be risen in new life because of Jesus, what he did for us and what he wants to do through us. So help us, Father, to continue to partake of that bread every day. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.